Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Donna Zeiderweg, CCEO, which is the Chief Community Engagement Officer with the Columbus Metropolitan Library. She's with us to discuss book banning in America. Welcome, Donna. Thanks for having me. Pleased to be here. Jack, uh, last November, there was a meeting at the Circleville Main Library where people expressed their outrage at a book called Making a Baby. <laughs> and that what, from what I could tell, most of them were upset that this book could be found in the children's section. Now, this book is for kids age 8 to 10 and introduces young children to the topics of the sperm and egg, sex, a baby's growth in the womb, adoption, and some LGBT uh, issues. There's uh, also, after looking uh, the book up, I noticed there was an illustration in the book of adult men in the shower with a small child, and the men are depicted with their genitals showing, um, which was surprised me that that was in this book. So uh, back to the, the meeting. Apparently there was an expert at the meeting who uh, said she deals with victims of sex trafficking and said the book was a grooming tool for child predators. She was asked if this was her opinion and responded, no, it was basically a fact because uh, cartoons and graphic design are often projected towards a certain audience, and the experts stated that this book targets young children. From what I could tell, just a crazy, crazy meeting in Circleville, Ohio, and that book banning is certainly in Ohio, and if not, is coming here fast. Have you ever heard of that book? I haven't heard of that book, but my initial reaction is what's what's appropriate for young children to see and this looked like it was a book just about biology now the question is how much biology do youngsters need but i've had a fair amount of experience talking with people who are in the anti-trafficking business and i'm having a hard time making the leap seeing this book being designed to traffic youngsters what it really seems is an extreme case of, what's the word I'm looking for? Puritanical, if that's the right word, views on what goes in books. Well, what I see too is that I think there are legitimate concerns as to what children may be uh, exposed to. But then when you kind of go over the top that this is a book that's designed for to groom pedophiles, I think they start to lose their message here. And there were some concerns that I didn't think were necessarily addressed by the, the library board. Um, and I'm glad we have Donna here to, to talk about that. Like one of the questions at this meeting was, how does a library decide which book to display? And then once it decides the book 
will be displayed where in the library it's displayed. I mean, uh, I've been looking for your book, Jack, but I don't see it displayed anywhere so far. <laughs> there must be some decision about books before they're put in the library. Uh, Donna, can you help us with that? First of all, that was a cold shot. Let's go forward. Well, um, I think there are two uh, two questions sort of inherent in the one question that you asked, which is, first, how do we actually select the books that are added to the collection? So it starts there, right? Right. Um, and then, of course, uh, from there, you can either just have it on the shelf or you can actually have it displayed somewhere where it's more prominent and um and may encourage more people to to check it out. So, uh, first of all, you know, as with uh, most anything, you know, we have we have documents and um, have had conversations that really have uh, allowed us to outline the scope of what we like to select for the library. And as a public library, each library has sort of its own intentions around the library. And we are a public library that focuses on circulating materials. So our interest is in having a collection that's very relevant, that's encouraging people to check them out. We don't want to have them on their shelves. If we can help it, we want to have them at home uh, where someone is reading them and enjoying them. So the scope documents and how we how we determine what we will buy are really based around uh, that idea of what is relevant, what is um, what is interesting and topical, what is educational, uh, what we feel like our customers uh, will be interested in, and what will help them to enhance their uh, their their daily lives. And so we have selectors who are professionals, and they have. And they select the books uh, based upon the scope documents that we've outlined and that have been approved. And that's how they get added to the collection. Um, as far as where they're added, um, you know, there's there's cues that we go off of. Obviously, the publisher and the author who uh, um, is the author of the book has some idea of what their um, what their audience is and who they're speaking to. Uh, and so we we work off of those cues to actually decide where they go in the collection. And then from there, as far as what gets displayed, sometimes that's based on something that's relevant that's happening in the community at the time. Sometimes it's uh, just topical. Maybe there's been lots of conversations about adoption. Uh, maybe it's adoption. We're celebrating adoption month. I don't know. Um, and or maybe our staff uh, just feels like for whatever reason that book is really interesting and that they can build uh, a display around it. So there's lots of elements uh, to that, but that's kind of the basic uh, the basic idea. So I, I sometimes think about this, and Jack, you tell me how you think this happens, uh, where a particular book is singled out and becomes the topic of the, of the meeting. This you know book making a baby. Did somebody's young child come across this book and then the parent in the library saw them looking at these pictures and got outraged or is it more of a 
I don't want to say manufactured crisis because I'm sure that the concerns these people have are, are real, but, mm-hmm. but that, you know, they're, they're looking for specific books to see if a specific library has them and then, they're gonna, you know, make a cause yeah. out of it. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think uh, this is really the evolution of book challenges. Uh, we talk about book banning, but really what we're talking about in most cases are actually challenges because a, ban- a book isn't considered banned until someone actually removes it from a collection. So uh, mostly what we deal in are, are book challenges. And uh, it, the evolution of that in the beginning, or I, I don't know, it's probably not in the beginning, but at some point it was really more of the individualized. Someone came upon a book and felt like, okay, well, this book, for whatever reason, feels like based upon their value system or their judgment should not be a book that is in the library, should not be a book that their child or other children um, should see. And so they challenge it. Um, They ask for a review of that book. What we're seeing now and why you're seeing so much more conversation about it is that now it's become more of a organized um, um, event uh, where sometimes the uh, the individuals who are uh, challenging the book have not even read the book, haven't seen the book. They are just basing it off what others have done. Uh, and we're also seeing where they are challenging multiple books at a time. So it, it becomes a more of an organized situation where they're, um, they're you know, they're looking at a, a breadth of materials and saying all of these materials should be should be removed from either the public library or, frankly, what's happening a lot more now, especially in Ohio, is really school libraries uh, and schools. This sounds like it's part of that, what we talk about occasionally, Gonzo, where there are organizations that try to foster specific legislation in sort of a cookbook fashion across the states. You remember, I can't remember the name of the organization that we've talked about before that does that, but it leads the charge on conservative issues. And I'm getting the sense that the same thing happens with book challenges. Mm -hmm. Somebody creates the template and then that spreads to other libraries. Is that basically what you're saying, Donna? Yeah, that's, that is what has happened across the country. Uh, I think, frankly, we've been fortunate, at least in central Ohio, that we have not seen that in public libraries. Um, I have, I understand that there have been school systems that have and and currently are school systems that are are dealing with things quite like that. Uh, but yes, in a lot of uh, a lot of the states, it's been very successful, and it certainly has been uh, has really led to an elevation of scrutiny around books, books in the collection, and particularly books that are relevant to a racial experience or to LGBTQ topics or to authors who are um, diverse. Donna, can you speak to how much of the book challenges come from individual parents acting on their own decision-making versus parents who are trumpeting let's for lack of a better phrase, the party line being espoused by these groups I can't really because our uh, 
you know, in our experience, we really have, I feel like it's been more individual parents who are challenging a book that they feel is not, uh, you know, is not one that they would like to see on our shelves, uh, or they're at least asking us to reconsider where it is being shelved in some cases, which I think is is probably, you know, I, I think that that is, can be real. Uh, perhaps there is a time where we we have something shelved for younger kids, and after we took a, take a look at it, we think, oh, well, the, you're right, this is probably more, if someone's going to find it, they should find it in the teen section um, than they should uh, for uh, for younger kids. But uh, I, I know that from the American Library Association viewpoint, there are there are more and more of the the sort of political and philosophical challenges that are happening versus the individualized. I saw this book and in the hands of my child and or in the hands of my teenager or anything like that. I just saw this book, you know, in my house and thought, wow, I I wish they would not have gotten that from the library. How many parents who bring challenges or how many times have you or your staff asked the parent, well, have you opened the book and actually read it, or are you just reacting to what you think is in the book? We have usually when a challenge comes through, it's a written challenge. That's the the formula that we have. And uh, we have not, we usually do a written response to that challenge. So honestly, there's not been many times when we've had an actual conversation with uh, with a parent or someone who's challenging, not that they that we wouldn't. Of course, we would. I do know uh, it just in talking with some of our colleagues when we're at um, association events and others, and just in listening. I'm I'm a, uh, on one of the committees for um, the Freedom to Read Foundation that. It, it probably happens more than we would like that people are are using are are making the challenge more philosophically than they are of like a personal experience. So I think that's what's what is driving quite a bit of the increase in book challenges these days is that it it really is it's more of okay, I've seen this list and I've seen the description of what these books are about and now that I understand that these are being challenged elsewhere, I'm also asking the question of, are they in my school library? Are they in my public library? Your your answer doesn't hit it directly, but it, su- it suggests, or I'm inferring from what you're saying, that people are responding to what they've heard as opposed to actually reading the books. I think in, uh, in many cases, that's that's the truth. Hey, Gonzo, do you remember, uh, switching gears just a little, you remember the former sports editor at the Dispatch, Ray Stein? I remember the name. Yeah. Ray retired. This is relevant. Give me a second here, Donna. (laughs) Ray retired. He's now a librarian at the Arlington Library. He's a wonderful guy, right? And I was, you know, anticipating Donna coming on the show. I said, hey, Ray. How often do you get these book challenges? What's going on? And it didn't seem to be too big of a problem in Arlington. But Ray said, you know, when it happens, we just say, 
did you open the book and take a look at it? Right. And I got the I got the sense that more often than not, and of course this is not scientific study, but more often than not it was no. You know, people are just reacting emotionally from some visceral point of view as opposed to what's really in the book. I read an article um uh, and Don had mentioned it, the American Library Association, and they uh, publish a list of the most challenged books. Yeah. And I'm assuming you have access to that list, right, Donna? Right. So we get an idea of what's going on around the country. But um, one of the things that uh, when I was reading about the Circleville uh, Library uh, issues is that um, I didn't think that the um, board that they were, the members were really addressing the concerns um, of the people that were were kind of trying to decide if this book was actually appropriately placed where it was in the library. And, you know, if we can leave aside the, the people that are this just there to score a political point uh, and you address the people that you would think, if we could say, have a reasonable concern about the book, I really think educating them more about how that book got to the place it got to in the library. And Donna, you had said that you actually have experts that mm -hmm. decide that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what kind of expertise there is. And the reason it comes to my mind is I have no idea now what an eight or 10 year old would want in a book. I'm, I had eight and 10 year olds. We, we raised three <laughs> of them, but anymore, I, I couldn't tell you what they were interested in at that age. Right. Well, we have, uh, let's see, we have three selectors. We have three full-time selectors. They are librarians, so they have MLS degrees. And we actually have a selector also for our e-content. So that's uh, four selectors, really. So three that do largely print materials, and then fourth that uh, focuses on e-content. And um, they each have areas of expertise, if you will. It, we have, our selectors have been in their positions for quite a while. Um, so they have longevity in that role as well. And, um, and you know, they, they have just developed ex expertise over time. And so there is someone who focuses on children's books and uh, they spend a lot of time looking through and understanding what is circulating, what is of interest, what is topical, what are some of the most popular authors of children's books or illustrators of children's books. Uh, same goes for teens um, and on and on. So, you know, it's uh, it's not like you can uh, say, oh, well, you can sit down today and be an expert on that. But I think we have, as I said really kind of a scope outline of what it would mean to select something in a in a category of our collection. So giving them guardrails and within that they are uh, free to select what they feel would be relevant to our collection. And then you say there's a, also a process that if I disagreed with that, I could mm -hmm. file a, a, a formal complaint yes. that would be addressed, right? That's right. And, and just, uh, um, you know, part of that formal complaint to address the idea that they, the, the individual who challenges is not, uh, um, has not read the book, we ask them to be very specific about what it is that they would like, uh, why they think that that book should be either moved to a different location or, or why it should be removed. So we don't 
really allow for them to make a philosophical argument necessarily. We want them to uh, be pretty specific about what it is about the book that they find uh, n- not relevant Let me get or a- too relevant, I suppose. I'm curious. So, the yeah. f- so I imagine the first thing a disgruntled parent does is go to the first librarian that can be sure, found. Yep. And I imagine that librarian said, here's the form you need to fill out, right? Well, they point to it where it exists on the website, most likely. Okay. So, yeah. So that's done. Mm-hmm. Online input, response by the library. Correct. What if that if that parent says, I'm not buying what you say? Uh, then that appeal would go to our board of trustees. So our board of trustees have the final um, say, if you will. Uh, so that would be, that appeal would go to our board of trustees. I will say that. I don't know in any recent history when that has happened. Uh, we're pretty thorough with our response. I feel like, um, you know, often when individuals are uh, making, you know, asking for a review, challenging a book, it's it's a pretty gut re- gut reaction. And uh, I often I feel like logic uh, can outweigh that. Um, and there and there are a couple of points that we make. One of course, is that we we look at reviews of the book. I mean, we take each challenge very seriously. We look at, you know, why it fits into our selection policy, assuming it, it does. Uh, what are the reviews of the book? How many times it has circulated without anyone asking for a review? Because very often, I mean, we... Last year in 2023, we circulated 13 million books. And we had... Four challenges. Quick, Gonzo, do the math on that. What's the percentage? <laughs> I don't know, but it was it was making me think of the next thing on my mind, which was what a crazy process is happening down in Florida, and what just uh, the recent articles of what a mess it is. And yeah. I saw somewhere where fourteen hundred titles were pulled from the public school shelves in Florida now. Pulled, uh, from what I understand from these articles, means if there is a challenge, they remove it until the challenge is is determined, you know, one way or another. So it it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a permanent ban, but over 1,400 titles. And um, it it is. It really is. And, you know, like I said, when I saw this book that was down in Circleville and I saw the graphics, I I mean, it it raised an eyebrow for me like, wow, that doesn't seem... It seems a little over the top. Maybe age. I don't go to the next step that, you know, other people are going to feel the same way I do or that it should be banned. I just just kind of curious that there's a process as to why that book is where it is. And uh, I think they would have served themselves better had they explained it. One of the things that the whoever was there in Circleville, the director was saying was, well, parents need to you know, monitor their kids while they're in a library and keep them away from those books. And I thought, have you ever been to a library with three kids? Right. <laughs> we, we used to take our kids to Barnes and Nobles and let them just just have their time. And, you know, you're not you're not looking over their shoulder every right. second. Well, I, I do think it's an important point, And it's it's one that I uh, just want to emphasize because, you know, it's our, um, you know, our policy policy. Uh, it, it, it's very deep uh, in ingrained in libraries that you know you you can make a decision for yourself and for your child if you're the caregiver 
for the child that you have in your care, but uh, but you're not making decisions or or uh, yeah, you're not making decisions on behalf of other people's children, which is the the whole idea of you know, if you don't want that book, if you don't want your child to see that book, if you don't want that book in your home, then don't check it out. Um, you need to monitor uh, what your child is reading. And um, but that you by challenging a book, you're basically saying not only is it right for my, uh, not right for my child, it's not right for any child. And I think that is where we uh, we draw the line. You know, that's a really interesting point that you just made. That parent isn't speaking just about that parent's child. That parent is making a broad statement Correct. for the whole public. And cynic that I am, this smacks of what the problem is with social media. People don't, people feel the need to be outspoken about their opinions. And it gets really emotional and all of a sudden, the attachment to the message becomes more important than whatever the issue was. Right, right. That's really that that was very insightful on your part to to make mention that they're losing track. Hey, right. it's your child. It, that's not necessarily what's right. good for every other child. Well, and that's what that's part of our response is essentially, you know, we respect your right to not want your child to see this right. book, but um, we're going to keep it in the library because. We're not going to make that decision on behalf of of other parents. Plus, now that the parents know those that book's there, they can do a better job monitoring. Right. It's That's not right. going to be a surprise. I um, I also saw a really good ar- argument that you know when I think about it, Donna, you got millions of books you circulate, and, right. and so really, in the scheme of things, there's just a few that that really fall in this this challenged area or banning, but um, you know, with with Google and TikTok and Snapchat, Instagram, I just I do think it's becoming a little bit ridiculous in my mind that that people are fighting over a few titles tucked away in a library. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's just there's so much access now, and I personally think it's wonderful. Uh, back when uh, you know Jack was a young lad, there was three books on the shelf, and. <laughs> <laughs> Not much choice. Right. Thank you for pointing that out, Gonzo. <laughs> By the way, let me take this opportunity to make my own public service announcement, but I became a big fan of libraries just a few years ago. I hate to say it was kind of, well, more than a few years ago, but I don't buy books anymore. It's such a luxury to go to the library, yeah. and if the Arlington Library doesn't have it, by God, they'll search the U.S., and this right. book finally right. finds its way to me on the trust factor that I'm going to give it back. What a great system. It's so true. I wish more people understood that. Uh, it's just, And I can't say enough about it. To be able to get a book, it might come from some law school. In mm-hmm. fact, that's happened. Yeah. I get a book from some law school and it gets delivered, you know, a five minute walk from my house. When I was uh, researching to, to, to talk to Donna, I, I did, um, I noticed that there's starting to be a lot of positive pushback uh, going on. And, and a couple of things, you know, uh, uh, came out. There was this, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Jack or Donna, there was this lady, Grace Lynn, 101 year old uh, down in uh, Florida, where she uh, hand uh, made a quilt featuring covers of popular banned books. 
and spoke out against the band. And, oh, and I love it. No, I watched a video of her. It was it was wonderful. Um, there's a documentary that's coming out or has mm-hmm. came out recently called The ABCs of Book Banning. So I'm very interested in seeing that. Have you heard anything about that, Donna? I haven't. When is it coming out? That's I, interesting. When you look, yeah, again, you know, Google, right? Right. Uh, this in February sometime. Okay. So uh, anytime now. And then I, I also came across a, uh, a college course at Ohio Northern University about book banning. And um, you know, they were talking about the these books, uh, the course is going to discuss book banning in America, a whole course dedicated to it. And the um, professor was saying, you know, um, I guess uh, a book called if I get it right, Gender Queer is, yeah. is one of the most banned books in America. That's right. Um, and then there was another book that I actually want to read. It's called The Bluest Eye. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's another one. And, you know, Jack, you start thinking about this idea. It's really the fear of knowledge, right? We, we fear that our children or somebody is going to gain knowledge that they're either not ready for or just don't want them to have. I just don't, I don't understand the second part. Not, we don't want somebody to have knowledge. I I get maybe there's an appropriate age for certain knowledge, but not knowledge in general needs to be shared and available. I think a lot of people, some number of people are very concerned about living between these lines that they have created and everything outside those lines based solely on emotion, is dangerous. And they're unable to cross that line and explore because they've been inculcated their whole lives with the only thing that's safe is what's between those lives. Now, I'm hardly a sociologist or or a philosopher with a PhD, but these are the sort of things that I infer from much smarter people who write about these kinds of problems. Well, I think, you know, we we often, I suppose it's a joke, but it's not really. Um, we, are, we are often heard to say uh, the public library or our library has something in it to offend everyone. <laughs> um, and I think that's true. I think, uh, you know, um, regardless of which side of the political aisle you're on or how you feel about LGBTQ rights or any of those. I mean, I, I, you know, I uh, have always read very freely. My parents were very, uh, very open to whatever I wanted to read. But uh, every once in a while, you know, I walk through the uh, library and the stacks and, and think, oh, gosh, you know, I wouldn't take that book home with me, you know, for whatever reason. And I won't even um, say why. But I think th- I think that is, um, you know, that's couldn't be relevant to everyone's experience. I think the the point where it crosses the line where I think, well, that needs to be removed because I don't agree with it or I don't want I don't want others to read it because I feel as if I don't know what will happen I think that is, um, you know, I feel like that's the unfortunate flex uh, flexion point. And uh, I don't uh, we you know, we are bound in um, in duty in libraries to really oppose that and to to say that if it's on the shelf that, um, you know, that you don't have to read it and you don't have to allow your children to read it. But if uh, but 
others should have the right to read it if they want. You know, I think you're probably blessed, Donna, being in a library system in Columbus because it's you know, true. You know, I very hate to true. say it. I hate to say it. If we're going to look politically, this is a very blue part of the U.S. But That's travel right. down to Florida, and as you've already explained, Gonzo, life gets different fast. I had to tease my um, nephew. He just started the University of Florida. And I said, boy, college is going to be easy for you. And he right. said, why? I said, because they're not going to have any books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I went to college, we actually had books that we had to read. But I'm yeah, wondering if there's a, another um, a good side of this, uh, the, the controversy. Donna, tell me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression maybe since the you know uh, internet and information on the internet has taken off that the interest in public libraries uh, started to wane over the last decade. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, but it's just my impression. And now with these issues about books and book banning and freedom of speech and knowledge, it seems to me that, that they're back in the public eye and importance is, is being uh, expressed more and more uh, than I've ever seen it, I guess. So. Well, I think what I would say is that libraries have always evolved over time, and certainly there were points, particularly I remember when ebooks first came out and everyone was like, oh, there's going to be no need for libraries anymore because all, you, you know, all books will be uh, virtual and uh, no one's going to read print anymore, and, and that hasn't happened uh, we have a, about 30% of our circulation is uh, e-content, uh, but people still value print and love print and circulation, 13 million, uh, pretty strong uh, for, in uh, central Ohio. And what we see with libraries is that there's still spaces that people enjoy, they want to be in, regardless if they're in, in a lot of cases, even if they're not readers, uh, there's an experience in the library that they appreciate. And I think uh, so the place that a library has in the community is probably still or not probably is as still as strong as it has always been. I, I think the focus on libraries as the center of you know, anti-censorship. Certainly that comes up more and more uh, right now as we talk about censorship and book banning and and just the sort of the visceral nature, nature of politics and how people are responding to that in their everyday lives. Have you thought about posting in a very conspicuous place the book Fahrenheit 451? Uh and why just just oh just to like emphasize for people you know it's so interesting though i find that uh first people, of all you, you ought to explain what fahrenheit 451 is all about well it's it's about uh it's it's about um burning books basically uh and that is the temperature i think at which a, a book uh burns essentially uh fahrenheit 451 um yeah but so many of the it's so interesting because I just think that the there's not a lot of rational discussion around, you know, book challenges and and what I mean, people just feel so visceral about it that it's hard to have a rational conversation about about that in a lot of instances. And that's what we see right now with these long lists of books that are 
you know, because maybe there's a sex scene among teenagers. I mean, who in the world thinks that teens are not having <laughs> sex? I don't know. Um, you know, so there's like it, it, they pick out this, you know, a small portion of some of these books. And you think, gosh, is that like out of that whole book and that story, that wonderful story that was told, that's the thing that you're going to focus on and think it, it warrants this book being removed. It's it's um, it's really unfortunate. Gonzo likes to point out my age, so let me beat him to the punch. Yeah. Fahrenheit 451 was a movie that came out, I'm sure, before you were born, Donna, and it consisted of these fire brigades that would, on a moment's notice, go to some location where there was a series, a bunch of books that had to be disposed of, and the firemen would actually torch the books. There, Gonzo. Well, I had to uh, uh, chuckle to myself when... uh, when some people down in Florida, mostly in protest of, the, of what's going on in the schools there, uh, decided to challenge the Bible mm-hmm. because obviously the Bible has a lot of um, graphic scenes of murder and incest and just about everything that, that, that humans go through. And, um, you know, I thought it was pretty poignant to make that point to to people that, you know, here's a book that, um, um you know, everybody thinks is important and, and it could be banned in Florida. So that that's just kind of crazy to think that way. <clears throat> that's right. Well, I read a um, quote um, again, um, uh, just kind of trying to figure out what's going on out there in the world. And it was from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And he said, it's a great tragedy when society seeks to live in a monologue rather than a dialogue. And I think, yeah, it is. Oh, that's kind of uh, captures uh, kind of what's going on in, in this. I wonder uh, if um, there's anything happening in our legislature with regard to uh, preventing books from being banned or protecting librarians. Or usually, what we see is is they follow Florida. <laughs> Florida does something, and then some uh, conservative in Ohio's legislature decides it was a good idea, and they decide they're going to do it here. Is anything happening, Donna, that uh, you're either concerned about or, or encouraged? Well, I don't know that there's anything that I'm necessarily encouraged by. I know that there was, uh, you know, there's some movement, I think, in 2022 around um, some, some legislature that I, I think, I don't know if it just petered out, um, but I don't know that there's anything Currently, not to say that that couldn't change in a moment's notice, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I would love, uh, which I think is very unlikely to happen, is what happened in Illinois, where they uh, they passed legislation that basically says if a, that uh, they can get in trouble if they remove books from a shelf uh, um, from a library. Uh, so the idea or actually I think any library, so probably school library, not just public library. I don't know um, the very the specifics of it, but it was lauded at the time when that was passed because it it, it uh, really counterbalances some of the other legislation that's happened in um, in other states where uh, you know li- librarians can be um, penalized for for what they term uh, explicit content. Uh, and so it's scary. There's scary times uh, around that. And and I hope we don't see that in Ohio to that degree. And, um, you know, I have friends who uh, are in Florida. We spend some time down there and uh, 
they're always like, oh, you should get a job down here in Florida. I'm like, do you know what I do? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I do? No, (laughs) I'm not. um, Not anytime soon. Am I going to be looking for a a role down in Florida? I can assure you that would um, I, I would be very uncomfortable there, I think. Well, I believe that uh, we should encourage knowledge and not uh, not fear it. And um, Donna, I thank you for your work in the um, Columbus Metropolitan Library for uh, its role in, in protecting our freedoms. And uh, thank you for coming on and, and providing some of your knowledge. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate all the active library users out there. And I'm glad uh, that we have... Uh, Jack in our uh, using our library more often. I hope others will be uh, persuaded to do so as well because we we really are fortunate. We have fantastic libraries in Ohio, um, not just the Columbus Metropolitan Library, but all of our library systems are really stellar, and uh, we're here to be utilized as much as possible. So um, come in and check out a book, or just enjoy a meeting room, or any of the other things that we have available. Donna, before you go, I want to brag about the library system one more time. Please do. Way back in 1999, I was writing the first op-ed I ever submitted to the dispatch. I wanted to write about the brother of a squadron mate of mine who got shot down in the Vietnam War. And somehow I figured out that I had to get this information from the Library Mm -hmm. of Congress. Well, how in the world do you do that? I went to the Metropolitan Library. Communication was sent. This microfiche back in the day, right, yeah. microfish. I came in, I had it, I used it, gave it back to the librarian, and I had what I needed for the op-ed. But can you imagine? What a resource. It's fantastic. I, I know so much of that is digitized now. We actually have a, a really fantastic um, local history and genealogy department. Helps with a lot of those things. But Honestly, if we don't have it in our collection, uh, to your point, we will help you track it down uh, and try to get it to you, regardless of uh, where in the the country it is. So. Well, I know you will. It's a wonderful <laughs> system. Hey, our thanks to you, Donna. Our thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Dalton Jones. If you like what you've heard, tell a friend. We want this to be more about more than just us. We want it to be about all of us. We'll be back in another week or so with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.